Okay. So all of you know, a couple weeks ago, Christy, Tara, and I went off backpacking up in the Uinta Mountains for about a week. So we hiked our three and a half miles up there and got up there and enjoyed the, the rain and the whole bit. But, you know, we, we went up there and we had planned this trip for almost a year. You know, and me, when we kind of take vacations, I'm kind of like that guy that I've got to have everything listed down. So I had our food listed down. I had all that. I had proportions on an Excel spreadsheet. I had all this crazy stuff. I had list of things we need to bring. You know, I Tara came out a little early, so I had her and Christy rolling toilet paper so they'd have something when they were up there. So we spent this entire year planning to go backpacking for a week. And for Tara, it was her first time really backpacking. So she had to buy a pair of boots and break them in. She got a new backpack and all this stuff. And um, I thought that was pretty brave, biting off a week's worth of backpacking when you've never done that before. So we did take her up one night as a little test thing and she about froze to death. So she still went anyway. But what makes this story interesting isn't that we went backpacking or we had fun or we survived or Whatever. What makes it interesting is what happened about eight weeks before the backpacking trip. So eight weeks before the backpacking trip, you all know Christy and I and a couple of you came down with a major bad case of COVID. Wiped us out for two, two and a half weeks. And then after that, we were just exhausted and tired. Ken was the only one that went unscathed because he hid out here. You know, and so we went through that and uh, survived that. We're trying to get our energy back. Um, there were some issues with jobs, with Tara, with what was going on her job, my job, some personal things happened. And then about just a little over two weeks before Tara came out, she got exposed to someone with COVID and was scared to death that, you know, there's that 10-day quarantine, but was uncertain because it was still within a time limit, but was afraid she didn't want to get three and a half miles up in the mountains and have COVID in a tent and sleeping bag. I mean, that just was, would not be fun. So, as you can well imagine, as we're leading up to this trip and all these, these personal things, these health issues, these job-related issues, all this stuff is going on in our mind as we're getting closer and closer to the trip and we're thinking about what this trip is going to entail, you know, hiking up three and a half miles, Kenneth's going, well, that's easy stuff, but, you know, for us, it, you know, it's uphill both ways. As all this is building up, what do you think is going through our mind three, four days before the trip? Maybe we shouldn't go. I mean, it's just, you know, we've all gone through this. We've all had this stuff. Maybe we just shouldn't go. Have you ever had that kind of situation in your life where you're kind of building up to something, you're planning for it, you, you think maybe that's where God is leading you, you're doing all this stuff, and then you get up to where that event is going to take place or whatever you're going to do, and you're just like, ah, maybe this isn't such a good idea you know maybe it was just all in my head maybe God doesn't want me to do this or I shouldn't you know it could be a, a relational thing it could be a job it could be whatever it may be um, but have you ever had that where you're leading up and you just kind of get gun shy before the event happens well that's what we did all three of us and Christy and, and Tara are you know talking back and forth going well we planned it but maybe we shouldn't go maybe it's not the right time you know, and all of us kind of went through this questioning time of what could happen. If we got up there, we didn't get up there. Tara's worried about bears. I said, oh, don't worry. There's not many bears up there, just lions. That's all, you know. So we're going through all this stuff. She's scared to death that she's not going to have enough food, which 
Like Christy kept telling her, look who you're going with. You'll have enough food. She's scared to death. She's going to freeze. And all of were like, we had our, our zero and 20 degree down sleeping bags. If anything, you'll be hot, you know? And everyone's questioning whether we should go or not. And I did too. I'm thinking, man, you know, this COVID thing has just wiped my energy level out. And what if we get up there? And the weather changed on, you know, when, when I picked the date out, it was perfect weather, 80s the whole week. And then two days before we left, it's like, thunder showers half the week. It's like, oh my gosh. So we sat down and we went through the facts, or at least I did. And I'm thinking, we've planned this for a year. We're all over the COVID. The job things have kind of been put on hold for a while. The personal things have been kind of taken care of. We've got the backpacks, we've got the food, it's all portioned out. You know, we've got everything laid out, all the equipment. We know everything we need to know, everything we need to go, we should go ahead and go. And we did. And it was a great trip. It was a lot of fun, a little challenging with some of the rain and stuff, but it was a good trip. Where that hits us is in our story today that Ellen read out of Numbers and Deuteronomy about the people leaving Egypt. They cry out for how many years? 400 years. They were free, Arrows changed, things in history changed. Suddenly they were under 400 years of slavery. And if you can imagine, I mean, you've all seen pictures of Egypt. It's not, you know, there are oasis places, but it's hot. They're building pyramids. They're making brick and mortar. You know, their, their rations are minimum, minimal. You know, if you see the, the movies, you know, with Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments, those movies, you know, they're being whipped and forced through this labor. So they're crying for 400 years for God to what? Take them out of Egypt. Take them out of slavery. They're crying out, going, God, have you forgotten this? Are you not listening? They're, multiple generations are living this life of looking forward to God saving them. 400 years, multiple generations. Can you be, imagine being one of those middle generations about the second or third hundred year? I mean, your whole life has been born into slavery. Your whole focus growing up has been saying prayers and trying to keep your faith of God save us and God, where are you? This is your whole life. This is all you've ever known is God give us freedom. And even though you're begging and pleading for freedom, you really don't know what it is because You've never experienced it. 400 years of crying out for God to save them. Some of us, like the video, have our own Egypts, don't we? We wonder if we're making the right life decisions, the right job decisions, the right health decisions, the right relational decisions. We wonder if we're making the right personal decisions in our own life, right? We have those moments. And what happens is, we get in those sections, those areas of life, and fear can set in, can't it? Fear and phobias and all this stuff, and it's scary. I mean, even us macho men like Richard Kinn and I, internally, it's like, what, what should I do? I thought I knew the answer. I thought the picture was so clear. I thought I made a decision, but now I'm not sure because what if? What if? Those are some hard words, aren't they? What if? What if I make the wrong decision? What if, if I'm too presumptuous and it's not the right time? What, what if I'm really not supposed to do this? What if I'm not in God's will? If this isn't God's will, what, what if it all goes south? 
when I make that decision, what if? That's where Egypt is. Because what happened when those folks came out of Egypt, God brought them out of Egypt in a miraculous way, when he showed his power that he kept his promise to them, there's the ten plagues, there's Pharaoh going back and forth, God does these magnificent, miraculous things to show the people that God is with them and is still in control. You know, I love the, the well, I don't love the last plague, but it's major impacting where, you know, they tell them that to go out and sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, symbolizing that they belong to God and none of their family would die. But for those that didn't mark the doorpost, what would happen? All their firstborn would die. And it came about and took place and happened just as God said. Now, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you think that would make an impact on your life? Wouldn't you think that would impress upon you that because I trusted in God and took a risk and marked my doorpost, my family didn't die? And then God leads them out of Egypt into a point that for 400 years they've been begging and crying to God to save them out of slavery. They've been eking a living by. Now they're left out of Egypt. And not only are they leaving Egypt, what does the Bible tell us? How do they leave? It's almost like this big parade where the Egyptians are saying, take anything you want, just get out of here. Take the gold, take the silver, take the silk, take the food, take the wagon, take it all and just go. So 400 years of slavery, begging God to save them. God does the miracles, proves he's keeping his word. They get to go out and there's almost this big send-off party. They're being showered with gifts and gold and all the stuff they've never had. And they head out. And then they get out to the desert and they say, oh, what if? I mean, even on the way out, God shows us miracles, right? Even on the way out, Pharaoh changes his mind once again, his heart is hard, and he goes after them with his armies. They have no way to fight, you know? They have nothing to do, and God does what? Parts the sea. They cross on dry land. Here come the Egyptian army, and the sea closes in and kills them all. That's pretty miraculous. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Fact of God's presence after fact of God's presence after fact of God's presence. I mean, I look at that, I'm like, there is no way you could deny God with all those miracles. The ten plagues while they're in Egypt, the bringing them out in this parade of just showering them with gifts, and then destroying their enemies. Literally, as they cross through the impossible Red Sea and make it in all freedom to the other side. And then it continues. The Bible tells us that they were led by day and by night, by a pillar of fire and by a cloud. God led them. God provided for them daily with food, with manna. Even when they moaned and groaned and complained, God gave them meat, right? This is the part I like. Their shoes, their sandals, their wagons, their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Where do I buy stuff like that? I mean, seriously, I buy two sets of clothes, I'm good for half my life. This is awesome. Things didn't wear out. I mean, God not only provides for them in the miraculous, but he provides for them on a daily basis. You know, there's no 
wagon store you can go to and your wagon breaks down, but guess what? The wagons didn't break down. There's no shoe store you can go to out in the desert, but their shoes didn't wear out. There's no grocery store, no Smith's, no Albertsons, no Harmons, no Macy's, no Winco's out there, but yet nobody starved. The hand of God was tremendously right there in front of your face. And when I read that story or hear it as Ellen shares, I'm like, how can you miss this? How could you doubt? But yet they get out there and they do. They get out there and they question God. In fact, they don't just question God, they get mad at God, don't they? They get mad at God and how could you bring us out here? How could you do this to us? And I'm thinking for 400 years, you've prayed for this. God has miraculously answered. He's taking care of you, showing his presence every day, cloud by day, fire by night, manna, all this stuff is taken care of, water, And they start looking back. They start doubting. The trip actually, if you look at it, could actually have taken place to the promised land in just a few weeks or a couple short months. I mean, they could have gotten there a lot earlier. But when they got out in the desert, they complained because they didn't like God's food. They didn't like what God was doing to them. They're free, and now they're moaning and groaning that it's not good enough. And they're mad at God and like, God, why did you do this to us? You know, I wish God would have just put it in the Bible and said, because you asked for it, I gave you what you asked for. Come on, right? But they start complaining and they moan and they groan and they look back. And it's a funny thing when we look back in history, when we're down in the dumps and we're bent on some kind of mode, we look back and we say, it was so much better back then. I always crack up about the people saying, oh, it was so much better back in high school and college. I'm like, I wouldn't want to go back there. I mean, there were some great things, but then there were the other things. But we selectively forget those, don't we? I mean, they're looking back. Basically, they're telling God, I want to go back to slavery. Oh, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Well, you're getting manna every day. It's sweet. It's satisfying. You're not going hungry. Do you remember you were starving half the time back in Egypt? If they didn't like you, they just cut off your food. Remember how hard you had to work out in the sun? Now you, you're just camping for 40 years. I mean, this is the first RV tent travel thing, right? You're out there camping and everything you need is there. You didn't even have to get a backpack and haul it in. I mean, God provides the manna and everything for you. The water's there the whole bit. And they're looking back and they're frustrated. Well, what do you do when you have a child or someone that's not doing what they want to do, what you want them to do? They're misbehaving. And they say things like, I hate you. I don't like you anymore. I don't love you anymore. You still love them, right? What do you do with them? Well, you don't punish them because punishment is just pain and doesn't give someone an opportunity to change, you discipline them, right? You put them in their timeout, you do something. You don't let them get away with their behavior, right? You don't give in to them. You discipline them to change their action. And that's exactly what God did to these people, isn't it? He said, okay, you want to moan and groan? You're not appreciating what I'm giving you? Well, I'll keep you out in the desert. 
couple decades. That ought to fix it, right? You're in timeout in the desert. We thought timeout in a corner was bad. How'd you like to be in 40 years of timeout in the desert? That's kind of what God did. He disciplined them. Now, here's the big kicker. The whole time, God was disciplining them, and they're complaining. And it got worse as it went along, right? Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and what do they do? Hey, leader dude's gone. When the leader's gone, it's playtime. Let's make an idol, right? They turn away from God, and they make their own idol, this golden calf. And they worship it, and they dance around it. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse with these people. And they're getting exactly what they ask God for, and God is blessing them and showing his presence. But yet, because they're so hooked up in their own minds, they're going their own way. Don't we do that? Don't we get bent up and we forget to look around and see the blessings and the providence and protection of God? And we're like, well, so-and-so's got it so much better, they just got a raise. Or she's got a better looking husband than I do. Well, that's not fair. Ken's going, they got bigger houses than I do, right? We start looking around and saying, what if, and it's not fair, and it's not right. And we forget that God has blessed us. When God brought us salvation, and on the cross he said, it is finished, that's another way of saying it is complete. The Bible tells us that it's per God's will is perfect. There's nothing we can add to it nor take away from it. It's full. It's all done for us, right? But we look away and we forget that. Here's where the love of God impacts our life. Because that whole time they're in the desert, that whole time they're in essence raising their fist up to God saying, you did this to us. Okay. That whole time, God continues to love them and God never takes his promise from them. He still leads them every day, with the cloud, every night by fire. He still provides for them. He still has them in freedom. This whole 40 years, these four decades, God keeps his word. Even when they're fighting against him. That's encouraging to me. Because you know how long I can be appreciating God's stuff and something happens and within half a second I can be moaning and groaning too, right? And God doesn't give up on me. Well, after 40 years, they finally get to the edge. They get to where the promised land is. And so they get these 12 spies, these 12 men to go in and check it out, one from each tribe. And they go in and they come back and they're like, wow, the food is amazing. When God said, we're going in the land of milk and honey, in other words, we're going in the land of abundance, they come back with a single cluster of grape, right? And they got to carry it between two guys on a pole. Last night I picked grapes and I spent four hours taking the grapes off the vine so I could make juice. I want grapes this big like they had, right? They come back and they show this abundance that God has led them to where he said they would go. He's kept his promise, he's kept his word. But then they get to that what if question point. The 12 spies come back. Moses asked them what they saw. What they, saw. they show the abundance. But 10 of them say what? There's really big dudes there. There's like a whole tribe of Andre the Giants living there. And we're like grasshoppers. We're like this big compared to them. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, 
tell a different story. They come back and they say the land is just like God said. It's so abundant. But here's what Joshua and Caleb remind the people of. God brought us out of slavery, kept his word, provided for us, and brought us to the promised land. He never got mad and left us on our own. Number two, in spite of our disobedience, God never left us. His presence was there daily in the cloud and the fire and the food and the protection, the provision, the water. God was with us daily. Why are you not paying attention to that? And then they hit the big kicker. It's like if God has kept his promise and God is showing us his presence daily in protection and provision, don't you think God can overcome a few big dudes? I mean, God took out the entire army of Egypt. Do you think one tribe, one or two tribes of tall people are really going to be a hindrance? But the people sinned. And whose side do they choose? The ten. The naysayers. Basically what they say is, yeah, God's done all this stuff, but he can't handle those seven-foot tall guys. That's, they're just too much for him. I mean, the ten plagues, the, the sea, the, the providing in the desert, the saving of their family, this whole bit. The fact that God has been with them is there, like I say, daily daily and then there's miraculous things that he does and yet the people look and say oh, God's not big enough for this those people are too big for him we just we can't go in well in essence what they were saying to themselves is what God has given us we don't deserve it and we can't handle it and that's what they were dealing with because the people let Fear and phobia sink in. They saw someone that's bigger than them, and instantly they forgot what? All that God was doing. Again, daily, daily food, daily water, daily protection, daily leading, God gave them more facts than they needed for their faith, didn't he? I mean, it was just right there around them constantly, and yet they chose to say, I don't think God can handle this one. Maybe we shouldn't go in. And when I look at the big picture of the story, I'm like, are you guys just stupid or what? Because you know if they didn't go into the promised land, you know what there was to go into? The desert. That's what they were looking to go back to. Instead of a land of abundance, they were going to go back to the desert and live in there. It's like, really people, this is what you're looking to go back to. This desert place is so much better than a land of abundance. I mean, there's shade there, there's food, there's coolness, there's, it's, a, it's an oasis, and you want to go back to the heat and sand of the desert. Well, in the big picture, they wanted to go back to Egypt too, didn't they? They wanted to go back to slavery. We can learn, hopefully we can learn from these people. You see, God kept his promise because he promised that the generations would go in to the land, and they did. The children went in, as well as who? Joshua and Caleb, because they believed, they kept their faith. But God didn't allow this generation to go in because they disbelieved. 
Do you know what sin really is when you get down to it? Disbelief. That's what sin really is. I mean, you have to have faith in God to come to salvation, right? You have to believe that Jesus is the only name by which we can be saved. And you have to have this faith in a God that you cannot see, that he is real and true. And the cool thing is, when God calls us to salvation, just like these people of Egypt, or leaving Egypt, he gives us the facts of his presence all around us. The Bible tells us that you want to see the handiwork and the nature of God? Just look at creation. Just look at life. Look at a new baby. It's miraculous. And after salvation, God reminds us on a daily basis of his presence with us. Just like those, 40 pe those people wandering in the desert for 40 years, God's presence is around us in factual things. We just need to look at them, don't we? We need to look for them instead of looking away and saying, what if? So three things I think we can learn from the wandering people of Egypt. Number one is this. When fear disbelief and criticism are making your decisions instead of the facts of God's presence around you you're not in God's will and you're not trusting him when you and I are allowing fear and disbelief sarcasm criticism to drive us to those decisions then we're not in God's will do you know what the media loves to hype fear fear, fear. do you know what Marketers love to hype. You're out there on a three-hour trip about a timeshare. If you don't buy it now, somebody else will. You better move now or you're going to go without, right? It's on fear. And when we make decisions based on fear instead of the fact of God's presence in our life and around us, we are not living in God's will. I'm going to call this issue imaginary failure. Because when we start feeding that fear and disbelief, instead of looking at the fact of God and his word and his presence in our life, that we can go forward in faith knowing that God has our hand in his future, we are done before we even begin, aren't we? I mean, we've already made up our, our minds that this isn't going to work out. Well, this is going to fail, right? You've been there? You've looked at something and before it ever happened, this is going to be bad, you know? I should have never made this decision. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. But that being said, like the wandering Israelites, I believe that God gives us facts on a daily basis of his protection and provision and his presence with us all around us. We just need to see him. Hebrews 11 is that great chapter about faith of the people that didn't see God and yet believed and did great things in his name. The sin issue with the people of Exodus was their lack of faith, their disbelief, and that's what sin is. That's why people don't come to salvation because they don't believe in God, right? There's disbelief. And even as Christians, we come to salvation, but there are those times that basically like the Israelites, we see something and it's big and it's scary and it's fearful. We say, well, yeah, God did some amazing things, but he can't fix this one. He can't overcome this. I mean, we don't outright say that, but in essence, in our mind, aren't we thinking that one? Well, can't get through this. Okay. This is too big, too much. 
too much to bite off. I just, I, we, we can't do it. And we fall back in that issue of saying, God can't get me through this. Does God take care of you daily? Does he provide for you? Does he protect you? Does he, like the people of Israel, give you facts to look at? That's what we have to do is we have to turn our eyes to God and the facts that he's put out there instead of the fears and phobias and what ifs that drive us crazy. Practical application on this one. If God's provided for you and brought you salvation, if God has never left you and promises he will always be with you, then why do you fear? Why do I fear? Why do I hesitate and maybe wonder if I'm making the wrong decision where I feel God's presence is saying, go forward? Why do I do that? Because I get my eyes off of God and onto the fear, and I have an imaginary failure which I make fulfill, and I'm not in God's will. Number two, if God always keeps his promises, and we don't get God's promises, then it's us who are out of God's will, and we, like the people, the wandering people, God's people, get to a point where we really don't deserve and can't handle God's blessings. Now that's a sad thing, isn't it? To say we don't deserve and can't handle it. Well, we already know we don't deserve it, right? We don't deserve any of God's blessings and love, but we can't handle it. Why? Because we're not relying on God. We're going to on our own mindset. We're going on our own way. When God has provided, if we just trusted in him, if you just had faith, even almost as big as a mustard seed, you'd have the ability to move mountains, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? That tiny, itty-bitty little faith. I mean, you don't even need a big bowl of faith. You don't need a truckload of faith. You need faith the size of a seed, and you could do great things. Doesn't God tell us that with him, nothing is impossible? But when we get into that what if, and we start looking back, and we start buying into the fear and the phobias, and questioning God, then we're not in God's will, number one. And two, we have proven we don't deserve and can't handle his blessings because we're doing it on our own. We are not, in essence, with God. You see, you and I have to be with God. It's a relationship, right? And when we're with God, we can overcome anything. We can accomplish anything. We can do the craziest things in the world because God says he's with us and we can do this. If God gives us a mission or a ministry or a work or something to do, even if it's massive, God says, you know what? Let me do the heavy lifting. You just go forward in faith. You show up and move forward, and I'll do the rest. You look at all the great people of the Bible and, and you know, Billy Graham and these other folks who do these amazingly great things, but it's all because they go forward in God's will and faith with God. And they're like, God, you do what you want to do with and through me. I'm a vessel. God, you do your will. Let us not get to the point where we're not looking at God but ourselves 
and get to that place in our spiritual relationship where we don't deserve God's blessings and we can't handle God's blessings because it's all about us and we're not in relationship with God. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? It's a scary place to be. Practical application, and I wrote this one down because it's more for me than it is for you. I need to start talking about God's providence and protection more than I talk about how bad things are. Like 10 times more. Because it gives God the glory, it gives him the praise, it shares with the world as a witness, and I don't get sucked in like everybody else going, oh, it's so bad out there. There's scary things. Oh, we've got to run and hide, right? I mean, even all the things that face our world today, if God says, I am with you and I will get you through it, then whatever it is, God will get us through. Now, it may not all be roses. Maybe God has a mission plan like he had for Paul. Maybe he's like, I'm going to send you to prison. So you have a captive audience to preach to. They can't leave. You're going to do some evangelism. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? Well, if we're looking at God's way, absolutely. But if we're looking at our way going, oh, prison, but, but I can't make it in there. You know, those people are all bad people. But if God's with us like Paul, man, what a great witness. I mean, we've got church here, but man, if I could have a church of a couple hundred cellmates that I could scream and yell out the, the, the jail door and they couldn't leave, Wow, we could have church every day if we're looking at it from God's point of view. We need to proclaim the goodness of God, his protection, his provision. We need to purposely, willfully, determinedly look for God in our life, don't we? You see, that's what the people forgot. God's with them by day, providing manna, providing water, cloud by day, uh, fire by night. And they looked away. They looked away. I think God gives us the facts of his presence all around us, everywhere, in his protection and provision and love for us. We're just not looking for it. I mean, constantly when we're driving, Christy's going, do you see that up there? Do you see that up there? Do you see that up there? And I'm like, yeah. But I obviously give off the appearance I'm not looking up there where I should be, right? And when we're not looking up there, it's easy to get distracted. That's where God tells us to stay on the narrow road, not the wide road you got to pay attention. You've got to do it willfully and purposely. You've got to be engaged and on guard. Third thing, we need, you need to live by faith in the fact of God's presence, but never by fear. Again, we've got to adjust our view. You know, we don't watch a lot of the news on purpose because you get the news on, it's all this, oh, it's so terrible here, oh, this, this is coming, oh, it's doom and gloom, oh, this is going to happen, whether it's politically or nations or wars or earthquakes or whatever it is. It's pushing fear. It's pushing phobia. It's pushing, you got to find some place to protect yourself. you got to do something, and you got to do it now because the world is ending. Well, you know what? Have you read the Bible? It is. God tells us that. The world, this world is going to end. Why are we so surprised we pop the news on? It's like, oh, it's coming. We already know the story. Why are we surprised? But God also tells us what happens after, doesn't he? He has a promise for us, just like the wandering people of Israel had a promise of 
Yeah, you're in 400 years of slavery, but I'm going to lead you to the promised land. We have a promise of where? Heaven after this life. This is temporary. Heaven's eternal. And God tells us, hey, don't forget, the world is going to end. This world you live in now, it's going down. So why do we freak out? Because of fear. Fear of what if, what could, what about, right? We got to live by the fact of God's word, God's presence, God's will, and God telling us our future is in his hands. We got to trust God. So we need to adjust our view. Instead of looking at all the fear and phobias and woulda, coulda, shouldas and what ifs, we gotta look at how God's blessing us and taking care of us now, how God's providing for us, how God's loving us, how God's leading us forward even when we make those wonderful bonehead decisions or fall out of his will or look away from him, right? We gotta start looking for God's presence and the fact of his presence in us. Second, simple thing, pray. Pray for God to show us and intervene in our thought life to renew our mind. Pray for God to change our mind into the mind of Christ, to look to see what God wants to do in and through us instead of all the things that are out there that we feel we have to control and take care of and protect ourselves from. Isn't God our protector, not us? Third, as we mentioned, we need to speak out about the goodness of God and how he's providing for us and what he's doing so the world can hear. Tell others how good God is in our life and how he's blessed us so much. Fourth, stay in fellowship in God's word. Man, when we get away from that, we're like that hot ember that's in the fire and when we're not in God's word and we're not in fellowship on a regular basis it's like we're in this fire we're, we're on fire we're flame we're glowing red and we purposely take ourselves out and what happens as soon as you take an ember out of the fire it begins to fade right the glow goes out of us you ever had the glow of God's Holy Spirit that Shekinah glory fade out of your life wasn't because God left you it's probably because you walked away from him right and we begin to get cold and hard we got to put ourselves back in that fellowship and back in God's Word and get that glow going back once again in our life as we're in relationship with God knowing that God is with us God keeps his promise God keeps his word God never gives up on us and God will take care of our future. And the wisdom and discernment and understanding that we need is found in his word. It's all there. We just got to look for it. So when you face those giants in your life, when God's got you on that exodus, quit fearing and look to God. Look for how he's taking care of you. <clears throat> in that troubled time. When you're in that exodus place and God is leading you to somewhere new, but you're in that desert spot for a while, look how God is still providing for you and protecting you and, and leading you and guiding you because he's still there, isn't he? Just like the people, the wandering people that came out of Egypt. God 
was there completely. They just quit looking for him. They gave up on God. We all have a lot of difficult and scary things to face, and our world is a world entrenched in sin, and yes, it is going down. We've got the thoughts in our mind. We've got Satan and his demons trying to whisper things in our ears, whether it's temptations or, or put-downs or how could God love you because look at what you've done. We have all that around us, and we've got to remember our fight in this world as Christians our fight to move forward is not against people, it's not against others, it's not against society or government or anybody, it's what? It's a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And the only way to fight a spiritual battle is in a spiritual way. And that's where we got to look for God and be on guard and go forward in faith in the fact of God's presence and love in our life. We're here to win, kids. God's promised us, in the end, we're with him. We're on the winning side. So we've got to stop acting like we're on the losing side and it's all going to go away. It is. But we're going to gain so much more. This week, may God bless you. May his favor be upon you. And may you turn your eyes and heart to him in faith. And may you recognize and see his presence daily and how he's provided for you and protected you may god fill you with his wonders and love and miracles and may you go forward in faith and fact in jesus name amen let's pray lord we thank you to remind us of the wandering people coming out of the exodus of egypt lord they were a stubborn people and we can be that way also Lord, as the video said, it only took you a few days to get them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And Lord, whatever Egypt it is that plagues our individual lives, where we run in fear and disbelief, we pray that you would renew our minds and turn us to the fact of your presence and your promise in our lives. May we turn to faith and run from fear, just as the Bible says we engage in temptation to flee that as fast as we can and get away from it. May you be glorified as we choose to follow you and live in faith. May your presence fill us and may we acknowledge you in all that we do and see in Jesus' name. Amen.